momentum is going to come out of health mm. and connectedness. Um, and so I think it's always healthy. It's always good practice to be self-reflective and to think, um, you know, whatever framework you use. I mean, we've used breakout churches to help us think through that. Um, but, you know, I think that practice of examining yourself, um, making sure that everyone's with you is, is important, whether you're plateauing or not. Welcome everyone back to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is awesome to have you along with us, whether you are watching us on YouTube or just listening in your in your ears from... Uh, <laughs> In listening your, in your ears. That's usually where you listen, yeah. isn't it? It's so oft, often the yeah. case. Yeah. Well, I used to say, back at the start, I used to say um, uh, consuming us via your eyeballs or something like that because oh. we had only just gone onto YouTube. But um, yes, welcome back everyone to the Shockers Over podcast. Uh, I've got, I feel like I've got a few things to address before we start this episode. Number one is uh, Karen. <laughs> welcome. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And I'm... I'm I'm concerned about what you need to address, but no, <laughs> no, no. no. Just, yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Okay. It's lovely to have you on here. Thank you. Uh, with Tim and I, yep, uh, taking the place of Stu mm. because he's overseas in America. So, thank you for joining us. You started with the first episode with us this season. Of this yeah. season, and we're going to you know top and tail bookend it. it. Yeah, that's right. Bookend <laughs> it. Top and tail bookend it. Great use of uh, what are those words? Not analogy. What's that called? Can't remember. Like a saying. Anyway, doesn't matter. Mm. We'll move on. Uh, the second thing to address is Tim. You are here as our, uh, one I of am. our regular co-hosts. Yes. And as always, I like to really critique what you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> but today is a, a really good thing to talk about, a really exciting thing to talk about. Is that what does it say on the front? Sorry. Uh, the, yeah. The so cross? my shirt uh, says the cross, the tomb, and me. But what's um, that in reference to? Which was uh, in reference to a kids camp that I took a number of our crew along to last weekend. Uh, well, last at the time of recording, it was last weekend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Square. It's called Square One. It's run by YouthWorks. So um, I kind of get to wear both hats. Um, my youth works hat and my Soul Revival hat when I go, which is lots of fun. Uh, but I primarily was there hanging out with our Soul Revival kids this weekend, which was mm. lots of fun. So we had about we had 22 kids and four leaders, but the whole camp was about 350 kids and 100 leaders. Wow! So it was it was nice, lots of fun, lots of chaos. Um, mm. Really great, yeah. Kid, typical kids camp, lots of activities and water slides and lots of food and late nights and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the teaching was by one of my colleagues, Adam Jolliffe, um, and he, I mean, he's a master storyteller. He does magic. He does big oh, wow. drawing. He does, like, he's just wow. really does all that upfront presentational kids ministry just exceptionally well. Uh, and so, yeah, it was really lovely to sit under his leadership. And he just took us through those last couple of days of Jesus' um, life leading up to the cross, to the arrest, the trial, um, Jesus' death, uh, resurrection, and then wrapped it all up. And it was, yeah, it was, it was the cross, the tomb and me. And the big question at the end is, oh, well, so what? Mm. Um, how, what has this got to do with us as primary school kids in 2022? Um, and, yeah, it was really lovely to be there and to help share that with our crew and we'd spent time in small groups where we sort of debrief that, um, what it means just for our um, kids and yeah, all the different churches do that. So every church comes with kids and leaders. So uh, it's a really well 
running camp um, that runs in winter and spring, and uh, they're now both sell out every year. So we're going <laughs> to plant an extra one next year. So instead of two weekends, it'll be three weekends wow. next year to run That's square great. one. So yeah, this one all like pretty much all 450 tickets sold out within five days um, of it opening. So yeah, yeah, it's it's something that is resonating well with churches who want to mm. do this kind of a camp, and it's particularly designed. Uh, for churches that are not big enough to bother running their own. Like it, mm. when you run a camp, there's a huge amount of um, overheads that mm. you have to think about in administration. Um, and if your entire Sunday school is six kids, yeah. uh, you're not going to run a camp. Um, and so that's who we really cater for, is for uh, small to medium-sized churches that wouldn't run their own kids' camp but want to have that experience of having a mm. weekend away with their leaders and with their kids. And we do it with whole churches so that the leaders who are looking after the kids um, are the same ones that they've already got a really well-established relationship with and are going to continue debriefing and having that relationship with um, as they go back and are involved in their weekly ministry. So, yeah, there's yeah. lots, lots of fun. Yeah, sounds cool. Uh, you, you mentioned Adam's teaching there, but is there one particular highlight that really you can remember from the camp? Uh, one particular highlight. Um, there's lots of great stuff. Uh, there's there was one. Uh, oh no, I don't know. I can't even think. He, as I said, he loves the loves magic. Like every talk had a magic element mm. to it that he was um, putting together. Some of which I saw him do this series of talks in winter because I was there with my YouthWorks hat on, and um, there was. One that I just did not know, and he's he's now explained it to me. The magic trick. Um, the magic make it trick. Out. Yeah. No, how he actually did it. Yeah, how mean. he actually did it. Mm. So um, it involves it's having. Just magic. Yeah, it's just magic. Yeah, but it. He's got the, these four, a frame with four blocks of wood in it, um, and they're all sitting pretty tightly in the frame. And he's got a another small square, um, and it was really cool. So you had the four different pictures that represented the four talks, and the little block in the middle was said me. So I was like, well, where do, where do we fit in the story? Um, and uh, he pulled the pieces out, talked about each one, what the picture represented, put them back in, and all of a sudden there was a square the right size in the middle. Oh, right. In the, like, and the pieces hadn't changed, the frame hadn't changed, but all of a sudden there was now space <laughs> in the middle for me. And, yeah, it's... It was a great way to illustrate it. It was a great way to illustrate it. Um, and it was, it's really fun to... And mm. he, like I could hear leaders and kids murmuring around us in the hall going, yeah. what? what? How? How, did, how? how did he? That, that didn't fit. And it, yeah, it was really fun. No, that's awesome. So, like, we always start most of our episodes here on the Shock Resorber with a story or cultural artifact. That's the story. And I think the cultural artifact is actually behind you as well, mm. which is um, what we call it a signing wall. It's a signing and photo wall, I suppose, of from our... 30th anniversary celebrations, 30 years as a ministry, mm. 10 years as it's as a church. And um, we've got a lot of photos up there from mainly from when we were, uh, from the time we started as a church, but lots of people on there have signed it mm. that uh, maybe don't even become to Sorrow Bible Church, but came on the night that we celebrated this and they've actually signed their names. And mm. so it was a really cool way to, to commemorate uh, something that we were <laughs> doing a lot of commemorating, but a good way to commemorate mm. the night to have lots of people there that hadn't come for a very long time. We hadn't seen for a while, but being a big part of Sorrel Bible. So if you are seeing that on YouTube, that's why it looks very different to what we've had before on the on the background there. So mm. uh, any reflections on that, Karen, from from the 30th anniversary, 30 slash, slash mm. 10? Oh, it was really great to um, 
how you have so many people here reflecting on their time. It was really nice to hear from the volunteer pastors who were there from the beginning and some of mm. their their highlights. Um, You've yeah. been a big part of the volunteer pastor process as well for our church. Yeah, as well. but yeah, not here from the beginning though. But mm. um, but yeah, yeah. No, it was um, it was really lovely to just spend some time reflecting on what God has done. Particularly, I guess you know uh, the last few years have been hard for a lot of people and. And reflecting on the fact that even though, even in hard times, you know, God's with us, we've continued to grow through all of that, which, um, you know, hasn't been the experience of all churches. But, mm. yeah, even though it's been tough, there's so much to celebrate and it was really lovely to do that together. Yeah, I mentioned this on um, something similar on the Chip Lunch, Chip Lunch podcast, which is our other podcast that we do, and talking about how uh, it was actually also a confirmation, the first confirmation we've done yeah, at Sora Bible Church huge, too. Yeah. And the... the, the um, the synchronicity of almost of uh, there was a timeline that we that um, mm. someone from our church did up from the thir- the full thirty years, mm. and on there is uh, Ethan, our youth pastor. He's been on this podcast before mm. of uh, saying he was the first sorrowful baby, and then here where we are a few weeks ago, getting confirmed as the mm. first sorrowful baby now he's 24 getting confirmed so yeah that was a really nice yeah. um, linkage between the past and the f- and yeah. what's looking forward to the future and yeah and we've always <laughs> said that um you know we're not celebrating all of the churches that we plant but all the people who come to know jesus through the churches and so what a great way of demonstrating in a really tangible way how mm. important that is to us having so many people standing up there being mm. confirmed and also the exciting thing is looking forward as well like it's worth looking back i think it's really helpful to look back and really lovely to see what god's done but also what's god's going to do mm. in the future because a lot of the people that were getting confirmed as well were some of the first people that came to yeah. youth when we first started at Sora yeah. bible church uh, it was probably uh, seven or eight years ago i I'm mm. probably might be incorrect on the timeline there but it's about mm. eight years ago and then they're standing up the front yeah. either ethan was part of the leadership group of that mm. But all the the crew that grew up mm. with that too. Yeah. So there's plenty to look forward to in the future as well, which I think mm. that's what the night was about as well. Yeah. So yeah. So back to the, back to the shock absorber though. Um, we're reaching the the end of this season, which we called momentum in ministry, and yep. we thought it'd be worth in this episode uh, reflecting on some of the things that we've learned and talked about. We started the, uh, this season the full knowledge of, of like what we we were trying to look forward to now that COVID, kind of COVID restrictions had ended. Um, the disruptions that they had caused. Uh, <laughs> we were talking here as a staff team at Soul Revival Church. Um, we mm-hmm. saw 2022 as a bit of a rebuilding process, and Stu used the analogy of like we're at a we're running a resort that's in North Queensland that's just had a, a cyclone <laughs> come through and cause a fair bit of disruption and, and destruction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the thing, the thing that I really liked is like, oh, we're still pulling the deck chairs out of the pool and cause, um, uh, rebuild, rebuilding some of the things, rearranging the plants, all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> we saw it as an opportunity to um, build in momentum in perhaps in the ministries that we move forward. It also coincided uh, this season with our annual planning day, which kind of happened in the middle of us recording mm-hmm. this. And also, as we said, the, the 30th slash 10th yeah. anniversary thing. So it was all kind of came well together. But I think, Karen, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... You're our training pastor here at Soul Church, but you kind of came up with the mm. idea as well because it also helps doing this um, season will feed into our Berea training program, yep. which will happen later. But I was just wondering, why did you see it as an yeah. important topic to kind yep. of to kind of look at? Yeah. Well, when we started talking about it, I we I, we was just finishing a 
um, a subject on church planting and we were looking at, you know, the, what, what's the sort of model of church planting that we do here and um, what are the you know, core things that are needed for success. And we got to the sort of end of that subject and we talked about, well, that's great to plant, but we need to grow and how do we maintain momentum in a new you know, plant? And we were, I was sort of drawing on some of Jim Collins's concepts in talking about that, which um, reminded me of this Breakout Church's book. I'd read it many years ago and um, hadn't really... Uh, you know, used it much in training beyond that, but it, it brought that back up. And, and as I was thinking about where are we as a church, what's our, and we were also talking about planning day and themes of, of the future and stuff like that. Um, it was about we're, we're in a place where we need to rebuild some, as you said, pull the deck chairs out of the pool, get our teams back running, you know, strengthen and, and solidify some of the practices and the, the teams and the structures that we had in place before COVID. Um, but we don't want to just do that. Um, one of the, the big themes, I think, in Good to Great and in Breakout Churches is um, that sometimes the, the good can be um, the thief of the great. And so we didn't want to just set everything back up and have everything running well and good again. We actually wanted to continue to grow and we wanted to continue to see God doing great things through us. Um, and so that's when the book came to mind that it was looking at that concept of what is... What happened in those churches who went from plateauing to suddenly being able to grow? What did they have in place that meant they were healthy and strong to enable them to do that? And even though I didn't feel like we were in plateau, some of the principles that were in that book were, I think, good for us to reflect on in terms of our health, our readiness to come out of this and to continue to grow. Um, and so, yeah, it's a few ideas came together, I guess, in suggesting that we, we think about this. Mm. What do you think, Karen, as a church, do you think, that we were ready for momentum? Do I think we were? Yeah. Um, I think there are, I mean, as we've reflected on the concepts in this book, I think there's, it's been a really great encouragement to, for us to see that out of the research that Tom Rayner did, most of the factors that he identified, we do have in place. Mm. Um, but I think that people, like momentum requires everyone coming with you. And so I think it also is a good reminder that of the need to make sure that we continually bring everyone with us, that we're looking after the needs that they have where they're at. And so coming out of any sort of big event like COVID means people are impacted in different ways. And so that sensitivity for us to go, how do we ensure that we're meeting the needs of those who aren't quite ready to jump in and, um, you know, not just get the deck chairs out of the pool, but start mm-hmm. new things. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that we're looking after them and strengthening mm-hmm. them as well as keeping an eye on growth? So, yeah, I think, yes, we are, but there's also, we, we're not, we don't want to run off without bringing everyone with us. Yeah, I think, that, I mean, um, looking at uh, breakout churches for this, the, the final chapter, we kind of broke it up into chapters mm. and, and each episode as we engage with that book. And, uh, Rainer says at the end, those size and numbers played a significant factor. The key was for ministry leaders and lay people wanting to make a difference. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's maybe feeding into what you're, yeah. you're saying there yeah. is that are we ready to make a difference and mm. do we want to make a difference? Yeah. And I think, I mean, my perception is that if us as a church is that yes, that we do want to mm. do that. And I think mm. a lot of people here at Sorrel yep. Bible Church, we're really thankful that we, they do want to do yeah. that. Um, yeah. But I suppose 
coming back to breakout churches a little bit, which is again, as we said, is a book that we engage in a lot. Um, Tim, I thought it worth asking you first, what in looking at breakout churches and the book that Rainer wrote and his research, what struck you? What struck you most about looking at this book and using it as a resource while we while we recorded this season? Yeah, there's been lots of really interesting discussions that we've had on the book and lots of different topics that he he raises. Um, I think one of the things that has kept uh, floating through my mind when we haven't been recording is the that idea of the vision intersection profile mm. uh, and thinking about how do you actually decide what you want to do as a church. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about the intersection there between a leader's passion um, their particular gifts of the congregation and also the community's needs. And as you put those two together, the sweet spot for your church is going to be there yep. in the middle. And we talked about that a lot on episode seven. And I think that that's been really helpful as I think about uh, why do we do what we do do um, and just as important, why do we not do what we yeah. don't do? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think one of the reasons that this sticks in my head is because that's the conversation I'm often trying to have with children's mm. ministry leaders. We, whenever they, they've come up with a problem, I try and take them right back and go, okay, well, where's our ministry philosophy? Like, yeah. what do you actually think that you're mm. doing? And how does this play into yeah. that? And so these kind of big meta questions that sit underneath a lot of our actual practice, uh, I think are really significant mm. and it gives us an evaluation tool. And I just, I mean, I was teaching on this on Tuesday just how to, when we say something was a success or not, when we want to say, oh, you know, today was a good day in ministry or this year was a good year in ministry, all of those words, success, good, bad, they're all evaluative words and you need to have something you're evaluating against. Yep. Um, good compared to what? Bad yeah. compared to what? Success in what metric? Yeah. Um, and I think the that vision intersection profile really helps you to think, you know, is, is this good... Uh, for us and our church at this particular mm. point in time. Um, and we talked a lot in that episode. Yeah, there's many, many good things that people, yeah. that we can do, um, but we are finite as people. Yeah. We're finite as leaders and our churches are finite uh, and we can't do every good idea and neither should we. Uh, and so, and that also feeds into one of the other conversations we had about humility uh, and I think one of the things about humility is that you can celebrate what another church is doing uh, and they might be kicking goals on a completely different vision intersection profile uh, because they've got particular gifts in their yeah. congregation that you don't have. And that's okay. You can look at them and go, isn't it fantastic that they are doing this ministry really well? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, that's been one concept that I think I'll keep playing around with mm. um, and keep thinking through. Yeah, just off the back of that, I suppose... The vision intersection profile and and uh, I mean I, th I think about how we do it here at Sorrel Bible Church we kind of break it down as theology strategy mm. practice and I've I, I, and I would say I think I've been well aware of that um, but I think doing this season has made me realise how vitally important it is when you're making decisions around so many things at church so here at Sorrel Bible Church we say if theology Jesus changes everything we know that. What the Bible says is truth. That's the authority. Mm. Jesus died and, and created a new paradigm for us. So that's why we need to be sharing sharing the gospel with people. But then also, I think what I've learned also seeing it at our planning day and stuff is that the hardest bit is strategy. Um, 
tactics and tactics or practice or however we want to mm. call it the last one how you actually uh, do it is quite easy mm. but what informs that practice the strategy is really hard i would say that a lot of churches that we've met met with or you've experienced in your mm. um, different uh, roles that we would say oh we're pretty aligned on theology but oftentimes i think that's what perhaps uh, makes us we say we do church a little bit differently is because of our strategy which is to love uh, share the love truth and love of jesus to every person everywhere um, and how that plays out and changing how we do a practice from perhaps uh, f- when we have a church service on a friday night on a saturday night and a sunday night is where we can actually do that but they all sit under the same strategy and i think i think it's actually a, a maybe a, a, there's a dearth of strategy perhaps not just in churches i think it is businesses and all that kind of thing because they don't it's it's easy to come up with ideas but when you test it against something that you're talking about tim like what do you evaluate against that's the filter that you use whether you are starting wanting to start a new ministry okay well how are we going to do that is this fitting with our strategy do you have a team around you because that's really important to us that you we do ministry as a team not just a one-off so people don't get burned out all those kind of things yeah i just i think just saying that doing this season looking at breakout churches and then coinciding with our planning day was just like yeah strategy is the hardest and that's why perhaps it's the least likely to happen because it is often the hardest thing to do so that's my reflections um or one of my reflections um karen i was just going to ask you as well just what do you think struck you most about mm. looking at breakout yep. churches yeah i mean I, I think some of the same things that you've already said i'm just picking up on the humility bit um mm-hmm. I think, and just reflecting a little bit, again, just reading the sort of end of Tom Rayner's book again last night, mm. um, his observation that even in Jim Collins' research um, and when looking at those companies that were great, one of the things that stood out to me was that it was, there was a lot of similarity in that the great companies had servant-hearted leaders. They had humble leaders. Right. Uh, and that came out in the church um, research that Rayner did as well. And so that um, really, uh, yeah, important, like the, the, the sort of we looked at the Acts 6-7 leader as well and that, you know, the, the leaders of these churches who were able to get through that plateau and um, work through that awareness that we need to be doing something different. It wasn't the crisis that led to greatness, it was the humility, the humble um, posture of the leader and the members to be open to, to reflect on what is God calling us to do different mm. um, and being prepared to sit in the pain of change. Like some people love change, but a lot of people find it hard and it implies that you've got to do something differently. Um, but yeah, the sitting in the pain, the, the awareness of that we need to do something different, the, the posture that goes, well, we're going to hold on to the belief that God's going to bring victory, that God's going to do something uh, and bring change here. Mm. Um, and we're going to be willing to go through that process of discerning what that is to find a new way, not just to jump to a um, just a new practice. And I think what you're saying, I'm saying something similar, I think, to what you were just saying, Joel, that the strategy bit's hard. And that's where I think the strategy bit is where you actually do have to do the hard work of looking at what is God calling us to, um, how do we not rely on our own wisdom and really seek out what God's trying to do through us. Um, it was a good reminder and I think we've got really good structures in place and I think that's one of the things that I love about Seoul is that we spend a lot of time 
thinking through why we do what we do and we don't just look at a new fad, oh, this is a great new idea, let's just jump on it yeah. um, and try it out. We don't, we don't tend to do that and that sometimes means that innovation and change is slower but it's, I, I appreciate that it's, um, we take the time and I think that, that humility is part of that because it's not like any one of us thinks, oh, we've got the answer and let's go. It's that um, willingness to sit together, to work it out, to listen to each other, to not take a position of power and try and force something to happen um, and to wait on that wisdom that comes when we collectively pray mm. about it. And yeah, So I think for me the importance of the humble leader sort of rose up to um, be something that I reflected on a bit mm. um, as yeah, so we're going through this again. Yeah, definitely, um, yeah. as you said, Raina mentioned that, that yeah. the humble leadership was a key part mm. of any churches that he decided to... Yeah. They, they just, him and his research team decided to call those breakout churches. Yeah. And yeah. there's also you talking about innovation. Um, you were saying that, like we in the episode we talked about innovation, mm. there was... Um, some church leaders who like went to a conference yeah, and decided to change yeah. the leadership structure <laughs> yeah. with no consultation, yeah. and then just but then continually did that. And yeah. I feel like yeah. I do feel for people that are in churches like that because it mm. would be almost be quite exhausting, like yeah. n- not knowing what's going to happen yeah. next time. Yeah. I think that would be really difficult. Yeah. But then, as you said, I think sometimes that we are uh, quite an innovative church. And apologies if, if people think we're, we're talking too much about it. But I think it, it, it comes back to the, the important thing, um, Tim, that you were talking about, that, that what, if you, wherever your church is, in, in whatever particular context, whatever the, the um, congregation is like, it's important, it's so important to come back to, down to that vision intersection profile again. Mm. Because if you go in with a... <laughs> A leadership style or like this worked at my last church for example mm. or this worked i haven't done this before so but i think this is what it would work mm. but not assessing all those factors within your particular context yeah. of a church i think that just seems such an ideal not an ideal it's such again a vitally important thing to do mm. i was going to ask that because we we're talking about innovation change tim how do you go with change are you a are you are you keen for it or are you not so keen for it um i I don't mind experimenting uh, with new ideas, but when I've found something that works, I don't like changing that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, just, just my workflow uh, habits, you know, I had a, a system that worked for me in terms of, you know, emails coming in, creating tasks, calendars, that was all kind of working well. And I I went through the whole, you know, um, what's it called, getting things done mm. kind of process. Mm. To David Allen, isn't that? David, David Allen, Allen, yeah, yeah. yeah. To refine that to a point where it was it was working really well for me. Uh, and so I really liked that. Uh, and then I got a new computer and the apps <laughs> didn't work with each other and I just kind of, you know, then I get frustrated and go, oh, you know, it's kind of worked and I've had to try and work out new things which I haven't settled on a new <laughs> system yet. Um, but so I, I do, I don't, I don't mind change and experimenting uh, new ideas, um, but I don't like to do it very often, mm-hmm. um, I think is kind of where I've, my personality naturally mm. fits. Mm. What about you, Karen? Are you a, uh, a change I'm, merchant? Yeah, I love change. <laughs> me too. <laughs> if I, if I, I create it for myself, if it's not, if it's not imposed on me, um, mm. yeah, no, I, I run towards it. Do you end up, <laughs> um, I think I'm pretty similar, do you end up going like almost like I'm bored with doing it this way and I need to freshen it up? Um, uh, yeah, there's probably a, an element of that. Like, um, 
But I think it's also about improvement. Like I don't, I don't think it's just about change for change's sake. It's, it is, oh, there's, there's probably a better way. Like this worked well, but it could be better if this is tweaked or this is tweaked. Mm. So, yeah, I think I naturally look for something that's going to improve it, not just change it. Can you give I don't, us an example? I don't think I'm a oh, – an example. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry, finish what you said. I was just going to say, I don't think I'm like an early adopter in terms of technology and stuff like that, but I think it's more in just my uh, openness to – changing the way that things are done mm. um an example i think like in training that i do um if i'm delivering the same workshop numbers of times they're always going to be different because mm. i'll deliver it and go oh that that activity work didn't work i think we could spend more time and i always tweak so every time i'd do it differently um when i was working at the university in that setting um and i was running a program that had to roll out across the whole university that was pretty challenging because i had to have some standardized nature to that so i had to find ways to make it interesting for myself each time (laughs) and particularly if i was running the same workshop multiple times in the same day that was really hard so it had to be different for me each time otherwise i've i got lost in the have i already said this stuff before so yeah part of it is about keeping it interesting for me um but it, it does have a layer of um, it's got to be leading somewhere better mm. as well. And that plays in again to what we were talking about in the innovation episode mm. was that the Rainer's research revealed that the breakout churches were slow to look at innovation, but when they committed, they yeah. committed full. They were all in with that yeah. rather than – and that's similar to what we talked about. Also, it's like um, we like to say build a bridge to a new reality mm. that it's almost like – we're going to take this change as far as we can before we actually, no, maybe not implement it, but it's like when we decide to make a change, let's build it in a way so that we can just come back to it. Mm. But we're still going to fully commit to it, I think. Mm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a few reasons why we might do that. Mm. I think one is that, um, we, as I said earlier, like we want to bring everybody with us and so sometimes... Not everyone's ready to cross the bridge at the same time. So keeping things connected is helpful. Um, and some people just want to see, like, is that going to work before I come over? Can we make it across the bridge? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, yeah, is that stable over there? And uh, then I'll come. And that's okay too. And so we want to bring people with us. But I think the, the point about breakout churches and innovation as well is that it, they weren't seeking the innovation to be the solution to the growth issue or whatever it was that they were being challenged by, it was a, it accelerated it. So mm. they'd already they were already on a path um, that was improving or was leading where they you know felt that you know was aligned with their vision. And like I guess Tim's example of his organisation systems, it enabled and and facilitated that to happen. It wasn't the only solution. So Tim's got to engage with his system and it's him that's going to make be efficient it's not the systems Mm. but the systems facilitate it and i think that's what we i think that's what we try and do that Mm. yeah the the innovation that we try is not just for the sake of you know say meals for example we don't just we don't just do meals because we want to have great meals we don't uh, you know and because it could then be just become all about that innovation so what how can we make our meals better and better and better it's not about that that it facilitates something else and so i think that's what we do well that we because we've taken time to think about the theology and strategy, then innovation sits in the practice uh, and it's, it aligns when we've done that thinking, it aligns and it mm. does um, 
facilitate it rather than be the solution. Yeah, and it's funny how we've talked about uh, strategy being the hard thing, Mm. but if you perhaps do do the hard yards then, then the practice is quite easy and it's also quite flexible and also um, perhaps gives more freedom Mm. to actually allow people to do what they want. I mean, that, again, yeah. that's another thing we talked yeah. about was the freedom expectation paradox was mm. the um, people, yeah. some churches felt like there was just an authoritarian leader that mm. um, just told them what to do and they had no yeah. freedom to actually try to yeah. you know, engage in their passions and their gifts yeah. to be able to make it, make it something of their own as mm. well. But then I think, again, if, you, if you're really strong in your theology and strategy, you're able to allow people to have a bit yeah. more freedom to be able to do that, and I, yeah. and it's and it, I mean talking about that in breakout churches, it basically says something similar. It's mm. as long as these people knew exactly what they're doing, it allowed them to have that high expectation as well, mm. so that they wouldn't be. Uh, we want to put in the effort, but we can be creative in our ways that we yeah. can try and meet yeah. that. Which is why, again, I think the strategy is really important. Um, Tim, I was going to ask you though. Uh, we're talking about momentum throughout this series. In your many years of experience working in ministry in many different um, different ways, what do you think is holding churches back in maybe Sydney? Or Sydney's our particular context, or mm. you could say Australia. What do you think is holding them back from building momentum that we're talking about? Yeah, I think I mean that missing piece of strategy is often um, significant, and so often we don't know why we do what we do, uh, and so we can't then assess why we do things, and we don't have a good grid through which to then investigate new ideas. Um, so as you were talking, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about with that freedom expectation matrix, you know, the, the churches that were low freedom and low expectations uh, and the way you describe those Joels is um, they just keep doing what they've always done. Mm. Uh, and so it might be that, uh, you know, you picked up an idea once from a podcast that you should do meals regularly mm. and so you just do meals regularly and in five years time you're not quite sure yeah. why you did meals it's draining everyone um yeah. it's feeling really exhausting but you just kind of have picked this up and you feel like you just got to keep mm. running with it um and so you then don't know how to break out of mm. that um tension um i was having a conversation on facebook this week uh, it's always going to go down well. <laughs> oh no, no, it was it was a good it was a good conversation. Yeah, it was sure. a closed closed group, so okay. yeah, it's a lot more uh, sane conversation. Um, but no, someone was just expressing the the difficulty they were finding in staffing volunteers for their children's ministry, and that those who were doing it were really faithful, but really tired, uh, and. There was a bit of a frustration of how do I get more people involved, but how do I you know, mm. keep doing this ministry? And one of the things that I said, well, do you have to do it? Like, do you have to do youth and kids ministry? Um, they're obviously great things. I mean, I'm a passionate mm. children's minister. I lecture in it, I teach in it, I coach do in it. it. Like, this, I do it. I do it's it. like, <laughs> um, but people can grow and young people can grow as disciples without a structured children's and youth ministry. Like, why are you doing it? And I think for a number of churches, um, and potentially this one, um, was well because we do like that's yeah. you, you have a We've church always you, you always do children's yeah. and youth ministry, yeah. and so even just the freedom to be able to think, well, what if we didn't run structured mm. children's ministry? What might that mean? Well, it yeah. might mean that a season of um, you know leaving you know, fallow, you know, when you leave a um, a field just to grow weeds for a year, um, is actually quite enriching for the soil. 
Uh, and it might be that actually not doing children's ministry next year in the formal structured way that you have been doing it with the high resource expectation on leadership and all of those things actually means that you can have a period of restoration for your leaders where they can actually, if they're feeling burnt out from years of COVID and pressures and health scares and the anxiety that comes from the unknown that we've had over the last three years and all of those kinds of things, if people just read to rest, then rest. You know, may, maybe um, better than burnt out leaders running a unsustainable ministry, maybe uh, a time of restoration in order to have uh, healthy leaders in a year's time and a, a church that's really excited about ministry again, uh, maybe that's a fair trade. I mm. don't know. Like, but, yeah. it, but have the freedom to think about those yeah. kinds of things. But you've got to think about your strategy. And again, if the strategy it, it's not just practice, it's not just theology and practice. You know, the Bible says that children are disciples of Jesus and therefore we must run Sunday school. Mm. It's like, mm. well, mm, hold on, there's a missing piece there. Like, yeah. Yeah, Sunday school may not be the only way in which you can express that theology, that children can know and love Jesus for themselves. Um, you know, adolescents uh, can know and love Jesus and can express discipleship in adolescent type ways. Therefore, we must have Friday afternoon youth group. Do, do we? Must be? Like, yeah. what's the strategy in the middle? And there may be other strategies that actually allow you to express those theologies um, and represent them in different practices. Mm. So I think that's one of the things that can hold people back is the uh, if we don't understand our strategy well, then we can be doing practices and we're not quite sure why or we think that this is the only way that it can happen. Um, so I think that might, one, might be one thing that I've thought of. Um, I've got a couple of others, but Karen, have you got things that yeah, you can yeah, yeah, recognise? Sure. Um, I think one of the things is like, you know, we've talked about the National Church Life Surveys and other surveys uh, on this podcast and others, I think. Um, and, you know, the recognition that the majority of churches across Australia are not actually growing. Some of them are stable and they're getting new people, but they're sort of losing people at the same rate. Some of them are in decline, but only about a third or maybe even less than that are actually growing. Um, and I think one of the, like, one of the things that I think Raina helpfully points out is one of the reasons why I think that's happening is when churches leadership teams actually face the reality of well our our memberships plateaued they don't do the hard work of sitting in the painful reality of that and being open to well what is what does that mean what does that mean for us what changes do we need to make what is god um, doing they jump straight to and i think it's like your idea of the well i went to a conference and come back and implement they jump straight so it, those who recognise we have to do something different um, and jump to the solution and try and patch their practices with some idea that um, they've found from somewhere else. They mm. don't actually take the time to really think about what does it mean for us. I think that's, you know, you, you end up with a whole lot of ideas that try uh, get tried and maybe don't work or get done for a while and then stop it, which ultimately feels like you're doing nothing. Um, or there's others who just won't accept that they need to do anything. They just, you know, and just ignore the the reality that, um, well, the church is declining or it's less than it could be. And I think Rainer even talks about in some of the surveys in the comparison churches where they went and asked the congregation, you know, what do you think of the church? And they're like, the the fact is it's declining. But there the members are saying, oh, we're, we're doing great with this aspect of ministry and this and this. And so not actually realistically facing the truth of what's happening in their churches. So, I, yeah, I think they're part, some of the reasons. 
Um, and it's hard. Like change is hard. We've talked about that um, before. That sitting in that, recognizing, oh, maybe I've contributed to this, and what does that what does that mean for me? And it's not it's not easy to feel that conviction or that rebuke of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think to avoid conflict, which a lot of people want to do, they just don't do anything about it. It's mm. almost like um, almost an avoidance of responsibility. You know, mm. like we. I mean, we're tempted to do that in many things, but yeah. it's also like even if you're in church and you, like, oh, but I'm here, and mm. but yeah, I think I mean, yeah, Raina talked about people est- uh, estimating their attendance of thirty yeah, percent yeah. higher than it actually was, and or just saying no, nothing needs to change. Yeah, but like it's all going over well. s- over seven years, the yeah, I think there was one church the attendance had declined some sixty something yeah. percent, which is, um, mm. yeah, ignoring the fact that probably doesn't help you actually. Build momentum in no, <laughs> in no, in no. any easily. Tim, you had a couple of other ideas though for why. Yeah, one of the other things, and this is just—it's been a personal reflection of mine as I think about my own life, as I think about the ministries I look at, and what I've been doing study over the last few years. But um, really thinking through this—the uh, idea of formation. What does it actually mean mm. to be formed as a disciple? Uh, and so one of the things I use regularly in my writing and my lecturing and my teaching is, you know, that we are head, heart, hands, that, mm. you know, it, discipleship is growing in our knowledge yeah. uh, um, of God, our love of God and our obedience mm. to God. And it's a holistic place and mm. it's putting all those three um, together that actually mm. creates forming disciples. Um, but we are in a tradition uh, which really heavily emphasises the head knowledge mm-hmm. um, of faith. Um, and part of that is our Reformation heritage. We've got quite an um, intellectual and scholastic type heritage mm-hmm. that comes from, you know, I mean, Calvin and Luther were, you know, massive brains, right? Like they're <laughs> just writing heaps of stuff. Mm-hmm. Very, very smart. Um, you go through the Puritan mov- movement, huge, like writing really, really great stuff. Um, and they're the sort of the champions of our heritage, I suppose. Um, but this idea that um, I think it's uh, James K. A. Smith that uh, talks about this enlightenment idea that you know, humans are just brains on a stick, um, which overemphasizes the the head. Mm. Um, and he, this isn't a Christian idea. This is just in the in mm. the Enlightenment. Um, that's kind of where it came from. So there's a lot of Enlightenment philosophers, uh, which is mm. you know paralleling the Reformation um, in history that emphasise that knowledge is the answer to everything. And so, you know, you get schools and universities and all we need to do is teach better and people will become better humans. Uh, And one of the things that's neglected, and and this is where a lot of uh, more recent things that I've been listening to and reading about formation are missing out on the holistic nature mm. of formation mm. uh, that we're actually a bodily yeah. we're embodied people um, and so therefore what we do with our body matters uh, but we often I think in our tribe um, we think oh, I'll, d- I'll do a sermon series on the fruits of the spirit yeah. um, and then the output will be that everyone will be more loving joyful peaceful patient kind goodness faithful and self-controlled um, and then you, you wonder why, because you've talked for 30 minutes on each of those over nine weeks, that actually people are exactly the same. Um, and part of it is we, we overemphasise the, um, that just intellectual knowledge will actually change us and we're actually f- more fully human 
than that. Mm. We are more fully embodied than that. Mm. And other disciplines that we do during the week um, and each day um, are really formative. And so if, if we hear 30 minutes on being self-controlled uh, and then spend six days, 23 and a half hours, uh, practising lack of self-control with our food, with our yeah. uh, attention, with our smart devices, with our screens, um, then what is actually discipling mm. us more? It's not the 30-minute sermon. No matter how cracker it was, no matter how good the preaching was, no matter how sharp the points, mm. if we're not embodying those things... And I think that we as a tribe have relied really heavily on the spoken word and I'm in no way pulling down the sermon. I think the preached word is absolutely central to what we do when we gather together as God's people. Um, but we've, we've stopped there and we haven't dug deeper into some of those other formative practices. And so that's one of the things I think, because and what it means is what the, it's kind of come back to, to attempt to answer your question. Um, why are we not breaking out? Because we actually have ill-formed disciples um, and so our discipleship, we're, we're being malformed by the world um, mm. and we, we think the answer is just more intellect, but we're not brains on sticks. We're actually embodied people. And so our churches haven't helped us, I think, to actually be fully embodied people mm. and to express discipleship. Mm. And so therefore, uh, this is a personal reflection of me, I feel like I'm a stunted disciple because I rely really heavily on my brain uh, and read and I listen to a lot of things and I read a lot of things and I really love study. Um, but I'm really poor at doing all the other practices that come out of a good spiritual life. Um, and I don't think it's just me. <laughs> As I look around and I listen to a lot of children's talks, and I listen to a lot of sermons, and I visit youth groups and, you know, again, it comes down to, oh, I'll, just, I'll teach you this bit of Nehemiah, um, see you later and just expect that the child is now going to be a fully formed disciple of Jesus as they walk into school tomorrow. It's like, mm, why do we think that that is going to happen? Like mm. there, there's a massive disconnect there. And I think we do that in our churches um, and in our Bible studies. And so that's another thing that's kind of on my mind a lot at the moment. And again, it's partly personal reflection, but it's also partly mm. cultural in the yeah. way that we, we do things. What does it look like? I mean, you're talking about head, heart, hands, and mm. you talk maybe uh, an over-prioritisation on head what does heart and hands look like then if, if you're saying what would you like to see to what would you like it to look like and it it's not perhaps the way that you think is ideal at the moment yeah so i mean head is a really important part so yeah. learning more about jesus so i mean we we've as a tribe as an evangelical reformed um churches we do that really really well so um i don't think there's any issue there that the heart aspect you know what's Learning about Jesus is not the same as learning about Shakespeare or mm. you know some historical character that I can know about, but I can never know personally, relationally. Um, Jesus is risen. Um, he's risen and ascended, and I can have, because of the Spirit living in me, I can have an actual relationship with him that involves sitting with him and talking with him and you know listening to his promptings and experiencing those kinds of things and you know there's there's a whole lot of the the our affections are shaped um or should be shaped towards an actual relationship with a living real person and so what does that look like i mean it's it's prayer um it's singing it's um silence and quietness uh, which again in our technological age is really hard to to come by um, so it's, it's all of those things. So in children's ministry, one of the things I, 
I ask three questions to try and hit these three points. So the first question about the head, I ask, what is something uh, new that you've learned or old that you've been reminded of because of today? And you know, just to think about, oh, well, I got reminded that blah, blah, blah. Um, so in, in terms of the heart, uh, how might I talk to King Jesus because of what we've done today in kids' church, group travel, et cetera, whatever it is. And so that just prompting them to say, actually, this is a living relationship. Like, mm-hmm. actually, it's not just information. I now can turn that information into a way of talking to God, expressing to God my, my joy, my love, my fear, my anxiety, my worry, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hands, um, you know, James famously says, you know, faith without deeds is dead. Uh, Jesus in the upper room says, those who love me obey my commands. Um, and so we need to be shaping people towards an ethic um, that is, you know, our, all of our decisions, all of our thinking um, comes from an obedience to Jesus. So the question is, well, what can I do today or this week because of what I've, we've talked about in kids' ministry today? Um, and so that helps us to put those kind of things into, into action. Mm. What do you think, Karen, from what did yeah. you say? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I totally agree. I think learning um, discipleship is so much more than just learning about God. Um, definitely, I've, I, over the, the, over the last couple of months, I've had the opportunity to go to a few other conferences and things, and I, overwhelmingly, I've been really convicted about the whole need for deeper discipleship. So, yeah, totally Very resonate similar. with that. Um, I think it's also about putting yourself, uh, maybe the church facilitating it, but you as an individual. Um, follower of Jesus doing it too, putting yourself in a place where you can serve beyond yourself. So, you know, like I, I've in, in lots of times over my life tried to serve in places where I don't feel like I have the skills to just do it. Um, and so in and with people that are not people that I'm really familiar with, because then you have to trust in God to help you to enable you to do the thing. It gives you insight into people that aren't like yourself. And I think that um, helps you to apply the knowledge. Like, what is, how is what I know about God informing what's going on in this situation? And so, not shielding yourself from some of the hard things in the world. Like, you know, being aware of what's going on in terms of people who are, you know, across the world at the moment and, and struggling in, you know, refugee camps or with, you know, food shortages or in, you know, um, places where there's lots of violence. I can. I think we, uh, it's easy for us to not know about any of that stuff. So what we do in the, the 23 and a half hours of, of um, our day when we're not listening to a sermon, um, I think we've got to make be really careful about how what we allow to shape us, what we watch, um, what we engage with, what activities we do. And that's, all, that's also about discipleship, making choices that make you align your life with what you know in your head to be what God wants for you. So... Yeah. yeah, I think it's a it's a much more holistic approach to what does it mean to be a disciple. It's more than just knowing about God. It's actually knowing God and letting that shape who I am and what I do. And um, and I remember one thing that I, as I think back on in terms of parenting, one thing I regret was doing something um, with a question that my son asked me years ago. He was about five or six, and he was really concerned about homelessness and. I didn't until a few years later go and, and ha- get him to actually engage with it. Um, but I think that was really formative for him because he was concerned about it, he'd heard about it, he knew about it. And so we went and we served in a, um, at, a, at a Christmas 
um, event where there was a lot of homeless people and we were there amongst them, we had lunch with them and that was a really formative time for him in understanding well, what, what's going on in this world. That So I think, you know, that's a long time ago but I think putting ourselves in places where we have to challenge our thinking and make it make sense in the reality of what God's doing in the world. Yeah, I think it's yeah. actually, it's interesting because uh, I kind of think it's something kind of similar I think I was kind of in line that maybe I was just driving home at some point mm. the other week and thinking about like yeah I'm like I'm not it's almost like I'm not consuming enough for the Bible and not in a way like I'm and you say that in relation to the other things that I'm consuming mm. rather than yeah. um the Bible is just there to be consumed it's not like the other things mm. and it? it's like it, it's like it, you know, yeah. it talks about being sharper than a double-edged sword like it does way more than just it's not just entertainment and and balancing that with how much entertainment I'm watching or, you know, engaging mm. in compared to how much I'm engaging in the Bible, first mm. of all. But mm. then, like, what is that doing? What's the outworking mm. of that mm. as well? I was thinking, though, we were talking about uh, – we've talked about the Barna research a lot, Tim, but you talked about that the <coughs> almost too much of the head, the head knowledge. And I, I wonder if that's kind of similar reflecting what that – research said where people felt like they were willing to share the gospel but didn't know how to that almost sounds like people have the head knowledge but are ready are almost not ready or unknown not sure how to engage with people to be able to, to be able to share that knowledge but also like it's more than just knowledge too i think that's the other thing mm. isn't it? it's it's that's the spiritual nature is perhaps the thing that we're maybe not uh putting as much emphasis on so that makes a lot of sense and also i mean i've uh, recently there's a um there's a pastor in america who's brought out a, a thing called rule of life which is very much talking about spiritual disciplines and things mm. like that and that's that's quite fascinating mm. um and it's really making me think about oh how am i doing it? and i think it may almost um it's, it's almost sowing the seeds of like that's what we might do in our next uh, shockers over season mm-hmm. is talk about spiritual disciplines and yeah. how how we can um better read the Bible, understand the mm. Bible, uh, and do many of the things that you're talking about, Tim. I think, can I just make another comment? I think um, one of the things that we do well here at Solis is it, right from you know, the first sort of time that people engage with us is encourage service. So there's always ways to mm. get involved in service, whether, you know, if you're new and you can you can help out cleaning up after a meal. Um, but it all of the roles that we have in our church, we always talk about the importance of mission and discipleship in everything that we do. And so I think one of the other things that we do well here um, is use the sort of service opportunities in just to help shape people as well. So, you know, as you're serving in a team, you've got an opportunity to be learning from each other and seeing something modelled to you. And so I think that's important too, the, um, giving people an opportunity to mm. get involved and use their skills and think through, well, how is what I know informing how I serve? Mm-hmm. And also the idea uh, of, like, when we were t- I was just talking about the idea of consumption. And if we're only coming yeah. to consume church, then it is that only thing of mm. the half an hour and then yeah. that's it. Whereas um, I think the Bible commands us and says that no, go to church to, mm. to serve first yeah. and then as a result – you're able to be ser- like a lot mm. of people serve you more as well. Like mm. it's this cyclical thing because we're meeting under God's word, mm. serving each other as he asks us to in love, that 
you end up receiving more love as well rather mm. than just turn up consume yeah. the church yeah. for your purposes and then leave like and I think that's again that almost comes back to the strategy discussion we're coming about mm. if we have a strategy that only says turn up for an hour half an hour at the most and then off you go and then go be Christians for the rest of you, the, the rest of your life yeah. I think we're miss, we're perhaps missing something there and um, I'm actually really reminded of what Stu was talking about. Uh, he actually came up with it on the podcast. We talked about how models or um, even strategies or visions can become institutionalized. Mm. And th- we do that thing of just, we're just going to, that's how we've always done it. Mm. But he says um, we need to remain flexible in that because culture is constantly changing. Mm. And then we're talking about the shock is over in action. Our young people know mm. definitely at the cold face of change, we can use the biblical wisdom of our older saints to be able to interpret that and come up with ways to, to actually interpret the mm. church but then also uh, interpret how we do church and express church but then also he said one way to stop institutionalization and getting stuck in a rut of looking to just do the same thing over and over was to institutionalize relationships mm. rather than uh, that model or we even we've, we've talked about um, mm. uh, purpose-driven life the purpose-driven model by Rick Warren was there were some churches in that in this book of breakout churches who said, well, if we just put purpose-driven life in, then it will sort everything out. Mm. Again, that, that, that's not the actual case. But um, I'd love to get your reactions on that, though. Tim, let's go, let's go with you first. What does institutionalizing relationships mean to you? Uh, it means that the... Uh, you're putting relationships on top of ministry, like as in terms of priorities. So... Mm-hmm. Um, we we are friends uh, who together as friends uh, the body of Christ mm. go and do ministry, mm. uh, and that means that the relationships are the key marker there. Uh, it means that the people in your church are not your tools towards a utilitarian end of greater ministry, because um, that's the kind of leadership which ends up in people burning out. Um, or when people want to tap out of ministry, mm. you get frustrated at them. Um, don't you care? Like, why can't mm. you prioritise your life to serve the church? Um, rather than actually recognising that people have particular gifts, skills and capacities um, and that you actually you, you want to care for them. Like, they, they are the priority. Mm. Um, you want to see them grow as disciples of Jesus. Uh, and as we've said, part of growing as a disciple of Jesus is their service. But there's lots of ways that that can manifest itself. Whereas if we start from a ministry and structure model before relationships, then all we're doing is I must maintain these ministries and I'll just keep pulling people in and if they burn out, chuck them out, find someone new just to keep um, the the system moving. Mm. Um, There was something recently, uh, last six months or so, about uh, Amazon and the such the high turnover of staffing at Amazon that they were burning through staff really quickly in order to make sure all of their systems worked well. <laughs> and um, and someone had worked out, like, if they keep on this trajectory, then actually they've only got, like, uh, some single-digit number of years before they've gone through everyone in America. Wow. <laughs> um, as I, clearly, this is not sustainable. Mm. Um, but again, that was, I mean, that's a really heightened case of mm. I care more about the system and making sure that the, the business of business works. Um, the delivery. The delivery of the business works <laughs> yeah. rather than caring about the actual yeah. people. Um, and, and sadly, we can get caught up with that 
in church as well. Again, when we think that I've I've got to run these ministries, like I, I need to have a functional uh, meal ministry or youth ministry or children's or outreach or whatever it is, we've got to ha- make sure that carols happens and it's going to require, you know, 50 people to make sure it pulls off um, and I'm just going to work those people really hard to make sure it happens. Now, if you've invested really deeply in relationships and you have 50 people that are so, you know, chomping at the bit, ready to go, they just love serving and they're really, really excited mm. about pulling off your church's carols event, fantastic. Go and do your carols event and mm. do it well. And the high expectations that, that like you, it makes it easier to meet those high expectations. That's it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You've got people with you. Um, but that, that's what it means to be putting And so practically speaking, you're investing in your teams. Um, you're caring about people. You're spending time with them. I've coached people. There was uh, one guy I was coaching who was struggling to connect with some of his team. He was feeling like they were feeling that he was being really onerous. And he was trying not to be, but he was also trying to make ministry run. And my advice to him was these, this couple um, of leaders that you're really struggling to connect with, um, invite them over to your place have dinner and play a board game. Yes. Uh, and he goes, okay, and, and then we do some talk <laughs> about ministry. I'm like, no, 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 that's it. Just and then you it. wave them goodbye mm. and you say, thanks for coming and playing a yeah. board game with me. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, and so, but that was it. Like that, yeah. Because it's, it's about the investment in the relationship. Yeah. Um, and if we can consistently do that, then they're the types of things that will actually build high trust in the team um, and people are willing to go with you. Um, and when they don't have capacity, you've got such a great investment with them that you uh, give them what we talked about a few weeks ago, that ministry grace and ministry slide. That, you know, when people are feeling, I'm really tired right now. Mm. And say, totally cool, man. I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. Um, the most important thing for me is your um, spiritual health, emotional health, and I'm going to support you in that. Uh, and if that means you can't commit to this ministry, great. Or if you need to slide into another ministry, you're not going to be able to do weekly youth ministry anymore um, but you can do a once a month reading roster or prayer roster if that's what you have capacity for great um, and so use all of those things are just putting relationships first um, and then the ministry flows out of the relationships you have as friends or as, as friends yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yep I think yep. that's really key um, and I've loved doing ministry as friends <laughs> since, mm. I've, since I've been here at Sora Bible Church and doing yeah. ministry there. Institutionalizing yeah. relationships. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think Tim sums it up really well. But I guess the other thing I would add is um, the idea of it becoming the norm. Like, so I think when, you know, the expectation that we're going to be friends um, is not just an expectation. And if I happen to like you, I'm going to be a friend. It's, <laughs> it is actually the way that we do things. It's just natural that we do it as friends. So I think the idea of institutionalising something means that it becomes embedded in the way that everything works. And so it's not just a, well, when we have a group of people who seem to gel as friends, that that's when we do ministry as friends. It's not that. That's just the way that we do it. And as people come in, new people come into the church and see it, that it's going to look different and it might be a bit unusual for them at first, but to help people to see that's, that's what's actually most important. Um, and yeah, if we, if it means in some of our plants that some things don't happen because we don't have people in the roles or they're tired and need a break and whatever, that's okay because what actually what's more important is the the friendships, the relationships that we have. And so yeah, I think it it's about um, allowing the structures, the culture to embed it into 
the way we do things. It's just naturally how yeah. we and I think a, we work. a big part of that is also um, proximity as well. We again we're talking about if you only have a kind of consumer based model of church, mm. there's no time. There's not a lot of time to yep. build relations unless you step outside the church, and yep. but then that leads you to only maybe focusing on a certain group of people. Whereas it, if and this is why we intentionally do it here at Sorrow Revival is because we build time before and after the services to build mm. those relationships and to yeah. share lives with each other, yep. share our lives with each other and to learn about each other and be able mm. to, I mean, I, I love what you're saying there, Tim, about sending uh, this guy saying, I can't I can't mm. get going what I want to get going. Mm. But if, if your um, wisdom was to, like, let's focus on the relationship first and then to be able to learn about people, mm. share lives with each other mm. so that we can understand what's going on with each other's mm. lives. It's a very different thing to yep. being perhaps in a, a, a paid role, like a, a job outside of church where mm. it's like to get paid, I have to work with you to make this happen. Mm. Whereas I think it's very different. Like the, the central point for us when we come to church anywhere is that it's based around God's love for us. So then we can in some small way, Put out like mm. express that that love to other people, yes. and to be doing that as a ministry together first, and then mm. we're going to where the reason we're doing this ministry together is to again express God's love mm. out through hopefully for more people to come to church and to know that love yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I think the other thing too, like your example of the person in youth ministry who really can't do has got the capacity anymore to do anything more than maybe read the Bible once in a while in church. Um, I think institutionalising relationships also means that that friendship's not lost when that person goes to yeah. now just serve yeah. in, you know, once a month. And that I think sometimes people stay in roles um, in the workplace or in church ministry because if they step out, they feel like I'm going to lose touch with that person who I mm. liked serving with. And so mm. I think the other concept about institutional institutionalising relationships is it doesn't the friendship doesn't end if you stop serving in my team, you know, that, that, that it continues on yeah. and mm. um, because I love you, I'm wanting to put your needs first. Which also requires structures that will facilitate. Yeah, that, that. hanging out together That's outside right. the time that we serve in youth ministry yeah. together or wherever. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of, uh, yeah. there was one church I was chatting with earlier this year who they were saying so many uh, school leavers and young adults in the church um, do youth ministry because that is the only space mm. that they have yeah. in order to be friends with each other. Yeah. And they're almost to the point where um, they're not particularly interested in youth ministry, mm. but it's the only way that they yeah. can keep hanging out with these yeah. other young adults as friends. Um, and it's, it's lovely that they are friends, mm. but you want to say, well, actually now you've got to a point where um, you might have people who don't want to do youth ministry but they're only there to do these mm. friends. And that you say, well, that's that's not particularly healthy either. Yeah. Um, and so for them, it's, yeah, you need to have created structures. And so I think what we have um, mm. at Sorrow Revival, so, you know, late night on a Saturday night where anyone who is, you know, up at high school and young adults and, I mean, through to anyone mm. can mm. hang out, but it's largely um, young adults um, who are in that space, uh, whether you're a youth leader or not. Mm. That can be your your community yeah. space. So you can be friends with all of those people. You can embed every week into a mm. deep friendship with those people, um, and it mean without having to be in ministry. Yeah. And so there's yeah. those kind of things as well. Yeah, mm. I was also thinking 
in relation to that, <laughs> talking about relationships, but also she says just after that, if you want to build momentum, look at building momentum in the relationships first. So rather than we've got to rebuild all the structures, mm. we've got to do all the things that we were doing perhaps before COVID or um, maybe you're a, a new leader coming in and you're like, we need to make all these changes and make, make mm. this happen. I think the key is like take, and I suppose this is an encouragement for leaders, is take your team out for a meal <laughs> or take, have a barbecue at your place or go down and have a, have a picnic at... Mm. We live on the East Coast, so you go down to the beach and have a picnic there or go to the park and have a picnic or get mm. everyone to come along and bring their families on and, and just spend time with each other first. And maybe at some point you can talk about, oh, this is what I'm thinking about. I mean, this is what I'm thinking about this in terms of my own um, uh, leadership as well. But like, let's just let's just hang mm. out and talk about what would, what would you love to do mm. at church? Like that's trying to harness some of the passions and gifts as well. And out of that, you may get the, mm. the vision intersection profile as well. It's like, oh, we could be doing this ministry because we can build a real sustainable team mm. that can really make this happen. Mm. And I think if I, I think that's the, the probably the the real key one that I've learned from this, and and not didn't come out straight out of breakout churches doing this season was it's all about because Jesus reconciles us to God and also to each other, that we can build something really special mm. through God's love by spending a lot of time with each other mm. in order to help other people know that. And and again, almost before COVID, it was like we're used to everything running. We're used to it because mm. we had, you could, at Soul Revival, we had built it up slowly over the years since we planted the church 10 years ago. Mm. But unless you do that again, I think there's a real danger that you might... There is, there's a danger that it couldn't fall apart. Mm. I think that's the con- that would be a concern for me. And you've got to, you've got to rebuild it again. But the fun thing is, rebuilding relationships is actually pretty fun, or at least reestablishing relationships mm. is actually pretty fun to do. Mm. I don't know what mm. what do you think about that? Mm. But um, final thoughts, I suppose. We almost finished this episode. You got any final thoughts to throw? We've done a lot of reflections and final thoughts already, but just one that you might think you haven't said yet. No, I think I've mm. said everything that was in my mind, okay. Karen. No, not really. Um, mm. No, I, I get, well, maybe just, and I think we've touched on this, but momentum is going to come out of health mm. and connectedness. Um, and so I think it's always healthy. It's always good practice to be self-reflective and to think, um, you know, whatever framework you use. I mean, we've used breakout churches to help us think through that. Um, but, you know, I think that, practice of examining yourself um making sure that everyone's with you is is important whether you're plateauing or not um and that momentum is going to come from that place of health and or it's not sustainable if it doesn't so you might see growth for a time um but that's not going to be sustainable if people are not the church is not healthy um yeah yeah i think that's really good the other thing i just thought of then was also the we talked about humble leadership mm. and and moving along with the con- congregation in humility and trying to lead them in that. But also the fact that of the breakout churches in Rainer's uh, research, they all had, I think the average leadership mm. tenure was 21 years, 21.6 years mm. which is, uh, I mean, I've probably experienced that, especially with Stu being in leadership. And I think all my leaders that I've experienced is uh, longevity was a really important thing. 
especially even even in the uh, youth ministry where we would have our leaders lead us mm. all the way through from year seven to year twelve. But um, that was something that really struck me. Uh, I've never been to any other churches besides God Me Anglican mm. under Sorrow Bible and being here at Sorrow Bible Church. But to see, mm. I think sometimes that is not the case. Uh, perhaps even in Sydney, or I don't know yeah. what it's like in Australia. But yeah. the the idea of leading. Uh, for a long time, I said in, on Chip Lunch the other day that God is so eternal. <laughs> that, that, like, eternity's again, a long time. Yeah, <laughs> like, but that's the thing. Like, if you t- again, a, a tiny piece of that is, well, perhaps then maybe we should also be looking at how can we be that well, we're fallen people, but how how can we be that long term version of that mm. for other people as well as leaders? Mm. And I think that's a real fascinating thing to keep thinking about. Mm. Um, and also like something like kind of really inspiring that, um, and really thankful for leaders like Stu and, mm. and Matt who established the church with Stu, that they stuck it out for a very, very long time, mm. um, in, out of love, yeah. not, uh, out of a, um, like a, out of a grumbling necessity. It was like, we want to do this mm. because it's so important to us, what God's put in our hearts to love other people. Um, mm. And yeah, so I think that's the last thing. But um, cool. Happy to wrap up the episode, guys. <laughs> thank you very much for your con- contribution. Mm. Thank yeah. you for your leadership, as yeah. always, Joel. Oh, yeah. no, no worries. Thank you very much. Thank you for the idea. Yeah, Karen, <laughs> can you start? And all these your contributions over this season, Tim. Yeah. So thank you very much. And it was nice to uh, bookend the season yeah. with yourself, yeah. Karen. So thank you very yeah. much. Um, if you do have any questions, if you, yeah, if you when you're listening or watching us, uh, you can email me at joel at shogazorba.com.au. We'd be very happy to answer them on the particular particular podcast that you uh, wish to question us on thank you as always to our producer uh ek that's the same guy dave but he wants to be called ek um <laughs> but uh it, just i'm only saying that for the audience he might beep his name out we'll see what he does with the edit but thank you as always to to him <laughs> our editor for doing it um and as always thank you to Stu, also who's been contributing contributing a lot to this season mm-hmm. and uh to karen and tim again thank you very much and we'll finish with a yeah. one way Oh, by the way, I should say, just before we do a one-way, sorry, we're going to have a break for a couple of weeks. Mm. Uh, just wait until Stu comes back from his lovely holiday. But also I think we're looking at a season of around the spiritual discipline thing. So if you do have any questions about that, send them in and we can answer them as we, as we go through the season. All right, let's finish with a one-way. <laughs> one-way. One way. <laughs>